Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'll be speaking to, to Hang Lee, the Chief Information Security over at Kasasa. He's been in that position since 2019. Going over your bio, I see a lot of uh, a lot of impressive stuff there. I see you have a, um, a heavy background uh, with cloud environments, specifically AWS. I see that you've been in the cybersecurity space as a consultant, lead analyst, ID audit specialist, executive, account executive, uh, and, and, and a myriad of, of other positions to include manager of information security and architect, but your, your resume goes back to 2004. So that means you've been, a, you've been around the block a couple of times and you've been in the industry for a long time, right? Up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and from what I understand, you grew out of the, the, I would say the, the audit space combined with architecture. So, so I'm, I'm assuming, I'm guessing that you, you have a, a very technical background, but you also have some, some managerial background as well. But if you could, you know, step in and introduce yourself properly, that would be great. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, th- thank you for so much for that, Ben. Yeah, so I think you really hit the nail right on the head as far as the way that my career has come together. It really is a mixture of technical architecture, security, compliance, audit, all of the above, right? And I think that's something that kind of makes me unique amongst many of my peers, where some may be from a purely technical background or purely a governance background or purely a whatever track. Whereas the way that I decided to architect my own career, I liked it to go broad, right? And really pick up skills from many different domains and then combine them into who and what I am today. Yeah, and actually, you know, prior to founding uh, GRC Consulting, my, my the company that I'm current, the, currently the CEO and co-founder of, uh, I had a similar experience, I think. Uh, so I also, I had, you know, some technical background, uh, did um, dabbled with the application security at the, over at a large corporate and, you know, did some architectural projects as well, and then moved into the compliance space and, you know, and get gain some leadership mm-hmm. skills as well. So I think, um, yeah, there, there's some similarity there. Uh, I can totally uh, understand the path that you took. You built out a broad foundation for yourself and you know, that probably helps you right now. So, Absolutely. so we, Absolutely. yeah. So thank you for that, for the intro. And I always like to start off by, with a couple of personal questions. If, if you'd be willing to share your marital status and your favorite drink, that would be awesome. Yeah, certainly. So I am happily married to my wife, Eileen. We have been married for 11 years now. And my favorite drink is Crown Royal Canadian Whiskey and Coke. Okay. Thank you. 11 years. So uh, I got you bit in one year, I think. I got married 12 years ago. So. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, um, so. 
let's dive right in. If, if, you know, looking back at your career, if there's one thing you wish you had known when you began it, what would that be? Definitely do not be the smartest person in the room. And so let me unpack that for a bit, right? So growing up, you're essentially encouraged and oftentimes rewarded for being the smartest person in the room or the classroom as measured by a grading system. And so while that works in an academic setting, what I found once you enter the real world, EQ really trumps IQ any day. So therefore, what I would really suggest and recommend to people is always surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, that can help you grow, keep learning, and make sure to help others grow as well. So don't be the smartest person in the room, either that or find another room. Yeah. And you know, I've been hearing that a lot lately from CISO specifically. And, you know, let's just go quickly off script here. What, like, how would you explain then this conception that I believe it's out there that CISOs are very condescending and very, you know, uh, with a, with a very, let's say a very big ego. Uh, so I, I think, I think I might be mistaken here, right? I think there's a notion out there that Caesars are very untouchable and very, you know, as I said, might be, you know, with inflated egos or very condensing. Like, like how would you explain that dissonance between like your, your uh, the answer that you just provided, which I've heard before and that misconception? I think it really depends on the person, right? Because as far as the CISO role goes, obviously there's a huge responsibility and burden that comes with that particular position. And so I think it really comes down to personality types more than anything else, Ben, right? And so I tend to come from a position of humility, right? Whereas others may come from more from a position of power and authority and control, whereas I prefer humility and influence. So I, I don't know if it's really fair for me to try to, you know, bridge that gap, right? Because those are two very different personality types, right? So I think really what it comes down to is based on the environment and the company's culture, which of those personality types is a better fit for that company's culture and that company's desired security program. That's probably the best way that I would answer that question. Okay, that's interesting. My take on that, by the way, and that's based out of the 30 something interviews I've done already with CISOs in the industry, is that it is a misconception. And based on the, um, the statistical sample that I, that I have, I believe it's wrong. And I just believe that that's the perception due to the fact that, you know, CISOs are not unapproachable they're just extremely you know busy and they need to basically lead their organization through all kinds of efforts and initiatives and i think the fact that they're that the majority of them are um, choosing to to shun away like from vendors or cold outreach attempts i think that might be contributing to that misconception mm -hmm. or to that perception that's again that's my personal take based on on the statistical sample that i have because gotcha. I, I think all of the interviews that i've had were very pleasant and you know at the end of the day the person behind the camera is is you know is, is just a person 
uh, and I think most of them have good intentions. Uh, so, so, so I, again, that's my personal take. I, I might be a bit off here, but it was, you know, it just mm -hmm. came up to me. So I decided yeah. to ask it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah everything's fair game. Um, so, so having discussed, um, what we just discussed, what would you say your biggest failure was, uh, and what did you learn out of it? Yeah, so for me, I wish I figured out the entire work-life balance and work-life integration equation sooner, right? Just because as to the point that you just alluded to, being in IT, tech, and security, it's a very busy lifestyle, right? And so there's always on-call. You never know what's around the corner with, like, just random fires that might come up. You, you just don't know what's going to happen on any given day. And so as far as really figuring out work-life balance and how to integrate those things and really giving enough attention to both, right, that's something that I quite frankly wish that I figured out sooner because there were, from a personal perspective, several important events in my personal life that I missed out on because of work or because I was on call or whatever else. Right. So really just keep being able to give the proper amount of attention to both pieces of those that equation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everybody has experienced that as well, personally as well. Still experiencing that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, you know, just that like there's always more things to do. So, you know, Absolutely. your work day ends when you decide it ends, right? Because you can always keep on working, improving, doing like additional stuff, you know, giving out to the community, whatever it might be, there's always more things to do. And that's, you know, at some point <laughs> it gets very frustrating and you, you need to be pulled away. Um, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, and, and quite, and quite frankly, that's where, where I'm very thankful that my wife was willing to put up with me, right? And so that I'm very grateful for her in that regard. Yeah, you know, it might be interesting to interview the wives of the CISO at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very interesting series, Ben. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I could handle it, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely think about it. And uh, and okay, but would you say that? like uh, forcing the work-life balance, balance, you know, comes from greater maturity, personally? I, I, I think maturity and growth, right? And just, you know, because at the end of the day, we only have one life, right? And so there's obviously many obligations and components that pull us in many different directions. And like I said earlier, it's just really having that, maturity and sophistication to realize that, hey, I'm maybe giving too much to one compartment and not giving enough to another compartment, right? And just making sure that every element and facet of your life, right, whether it's work, faith, family, what finances, whatever, is just getting its fair share. So yeah, I, I would agree with, tend to agree with you there that maturity and just, you know, growing up definitely helps in that regard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, and, and having touched about uh, what you considered as, you know, the, the failure, so to speak, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was? Yeah, absolutely. So I, from a professional perspective, I would say my biggest accomplishment was in 2012 being brought into Indeed as its first security employee. 
and building that security program from the ground up. That is arguably my biggest professional accomplishment. And my biggest personal accomplishment was being able to celebrate my stepdaughter's 21st birthday with her last month. Nice. Um, and so about Indeed, for those who are, who are not familiar with that platform, and again, I'm not sure if I'm correct here, but isn't that like the largest HR platform in the US right now? Or one of the largest? Yes. Uh, so. Mm -hmm. So indeed, it's a, it's the uh, job search. It's the largest job search engine, right? And so, yeah, it, most most of us have seen its commercials uh, or have probably even have an Indeed profile to execute job searches. So yes, yeah. that that Indeed. Yeah, and and we're using it as well uh, personally. So I mean professionally. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. Um, so if there's anyone out there right now who's listening and you know just getting their feet wet in the cybersecurity world, what would your advice to them would be? If, you know, if they want to pursue a career that, that's similar to yours, meaning at the end of the day, at some point reaching like a, a lofty position as as a chief information security officer. Yeah. Certainly. I would definitely recommend starting broad, right? And so I think that's a mistake or not necessarily a mistake, but a choice that a lot of people make early on in their careers where they essentially pigeonhole themselves into a very specific niche within the cybersecurity space. So several years back, I remember interviewing a candidate and he was only 22 years old, fresh out of college, but he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And that was malware reverse engineering for the next 35 years. That's actually what he told me in the interview. I was like, you already know you want to do only this thing and only this thing for the next 35 years. He's like, yes, that, that's it. I was like, okay, good for you, right? While that's, that's obviously at the end of the day, his choice, I would say if you really want to get into a high level leadership position, I would definitely suggest going broad, right? So have application security, network security, cloud security, corporate security, governance, compliance, all of these various domains, really pursue those opportunities that give you exposure to all of these different domains. And just based on my own experiences, the opportunity to build a program from the ground up is probably your best way to be able to touch every one of these different domains. So I think my number one recommendation here is that if you really do get the opportunity to build a program from the ground up, A, count yourself very fortunate, and B, have the courage to take that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I tend to agree with you uh, fully on this. And I've given similar advices to previous employees of mine and colleagues as well. Um, yeah, it, it just makes a lot of sense uh, to have a broad foundation. Um, let's touch a bit about the role of the CISO nowadays. You know, a lot of our organizations have the CISO positions like uh, as a, you know, a C-level position. In some organizations, they might be under, you know, uh, either the COO, CTO, CIO, some organization, they report directly to the CEO. What would you, what are your, your, your uh, thoughts and feelings about, uh, you know, the CISO as being a part of the IT organization? What would you say are the pros and cons for that? Yeah, absolutely. And so I can absolutely, uh, you know, empathize with that 
particular you know, track in the sense that I currently report to Casas's CTO and at my prior employer, I reported to Q2CIO, right? So I to- totally understand basically growing up in the tech or under the tech umbrella. I think from a positive perspective, it definitely lends to having a lot of strategic alignment on objectives and key results, right? Because at the, the end of the day, it's not tech versus security. It's just we're in this together, right? So there's definitely a lot of strategic alignment there. I think one potential negative, depending on how it's handled by the senior leadership team, is that at the end of the day, you're competing for the same resources and funding out of the same resource pool, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think that is probably the biggest con out of the entire situation. But if played correctly, I personally believe that that strategic alignment between tech and security far outweighs whatever cons or negatives are brought into the equation. Yeah. And I'm assuming you're, you're referring to the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, it's based, the relationship is based out of, you know, mutual respect and, and people. And as long as there, you know, there's alignment and you can, you know, explain the rationale behind it, uh, you know, th- th- there is collaboration regardless of where, of where it is that you sit in, in the organization. Is, is that a correct assumption? Correct. Correct. That, that's, that's absolutely correct, Ben. Because at the end of the day, as long as security's agenda is moving forward, quite frankly, in my opinion, it really doesn't matter where security sits, right? It could sit under the CFO, COO, CEO, wherever the main thing for me, in my opinion, is making sure and ensuring that that security agenda keeps moving forward. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and you know, just to add a bit of color to our conversation, maybe you can just uh, give a few words about what it is that uh, that Casasa is doing. Yeah, certainly. So Casasa, we are in the fintech space. And so we specifically cater to uh, credit credit unions and uh, banks and credit unions. And so we have approximately 960 financial institutions that serve as our customers. And for those 960 financial institutions, we have eight in-market products. So those financial products include loans, rewards checking, savings, account opening, all your typical suite of financial products. And so that's really what we specialize in is, and then also there's a big marketing component to Casasa as well, because as far as these credit unions and small financial institutions go, a lot of them may not have very large marketing programs or technical programs, at which point that's when they would engage with Casasa and we can serve as their marketing program or serve as their technical department. Mm-hmm. Okay, and thank you for the, that introduction. Uh, so yeah, definitely a challenging, you know, challenging, I mean, an interesting and challenging space, right? Um, very, very highly regulated, I believe, as well. So a lot of... Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- as would be expected in the financial services space, right? Because anytime you're talking about people's money, all the regulators, audit, compliance, governance, it, it's all just part of part of the equation yeah definitely um and again looking back at at your bio 
there is a lot of you know areas in which you were able to to become sort of a, I would I, I wouldn't know if you're an expert or not but definitely you gain a lot of, of knowledge did you have any specific resources that have helped you best along the way yeah yeah absolutely I would say the, the resources that help me along the way are very broad in the sense that I tend to whoever that I'm conversing with, right? I'm trying to learn and glean something from them, right? So I think the main folks that have helped me along the way are my leaders, as well as my team members. So I especially appreciate those team members and direct reports that really had the courage to give me honest feedback about me and my leadership style in order to help me improve, right? So I think my leaders and my team members, they're definitely part of the resource pool that has helped me. Uh, literature from uh, various uh, business authors have helped me as well. So Simon Sinek and Marshall Goldsmith are two of the authors that I follow uh, very closely. And then obviously, as I alluded to earlier, my wife has helped me a lot in becoming a better person, which I believe also helps me become a better professional. Yeah, at the end of the day, you as you is under the same ecosystem, right? So. Uh... You personally and mm -hmm. you professionally under the same umbrella. Um, yes, great. absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, is there any one common myth about our profession or field that you wanted to debunk? Uh, I think there are a couple actually, right? And so I think one of them is that cyber criminals don't target small and medium-sized businesses. And so I think that's definitely something that I would tend to disagree with in the sense that most SMBs often think that they are immune to cyber attacks and data breaches, whereas this is one of the top myths, because according to the latest Verizon data breach investigations report, 58% of cyber attack vi victims are small businesses, right? And so if we were to think of this in a slightly different way, if I were to ask you, Ben, who gets attacked more, your local corner store and gas station or a large bank branch, which one would you say? Well, the, obviously the, the corner yeah, store, of course, yeah. right? Because they have they have lower security. Yeah, I think that exact same model applies here, right? Where just because because you're a say hundred million dollar company versus a one billion dollar a year revenue company, I would argue that because you are a one hundred million dollar a year company, you are a larger target than the $1 billion company, just because the attackers, they also operate with an ROI model and they know that the billion dollar company has more security investment than you do, right? So therefore you're a softer target. So I think that's one myth that definitely needs to be debunked. And then I think a second very prevalent myth is the entire concept of external actors and external threats versus in, insider threats. Right, because a lot of folks still focus or a lot of organizations and enterprises still tend to operate on this. Hey, if we secure the perimeter and we keep the bad guys out, then we're good. Oh, wait, we patched our firewall. We're good. Right. And so what they t fail to realize is that those threats. Yes, obviously, outsider and external threats are a large part of the equation. However, insider threats are a large part of that equation as well. And so IBM recently had issued a study where 60% of all cyber attacks actually originated from insiders, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if you 
So as far as common myths, I would say it's those two that one, cyber criminals do target small and medium sized businesses. And secondly, cyber threats do come from the inside as well. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting what you said about the perimeter, because, you know, I think for the and it's not only through COVID, but even before that, like during the past five, even 10 years, the perimeter is not what it used to be. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. there's almost, you know, I, I, I get reminded in that scene from the Matrix movie, you know, when the kid was holding a spoon and he said, there is no spoon. I think there is oh. no perimeter anymore. I think there is no perimeter. I, I absolutely like, agree with that. I yeah. absolutely agree with that, Ben, because, yeah, I think that's, uh, it's, it's a generally accepted concept in our space now that identity is really the new perimeter, yeah. right? So it's not a firewall anymore. So it's basically your identity and your credentials. So, yes, I absolutely agree with you. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the main concerns CISOs nowadays have? in general, not specifically, I'm not trying to, you know, fish for information about your specific company. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, to answer that question, I'm going to answer that kind of, you know, 1A, 1B, right? And so 1A, I would say talent attraction. And so I'm going to really talk about just making sure that you have the right players on the team, right? Because as far as Kasasa goes, that's something that I think about all the time is what really sets us, Kasasa, apart from other fintechs so that we can bring in the proper talent, right? So talent attraction. Now, once I manage to get them in the door and get them on, onto the team, then we pivot to 1B, which is talent retention, because we are in a hyper-competitive marketplace where any phone call from any recruiter could easily translate to a 30, 40, 50,000 raise overnight, right? How do I be the leader that people want to stick with, right? So to answer your question, 1A, talent re attraction, 1B, talent retention. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and you 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 peg those to be the the main concerns nowadays, more than like ransomware, more than any other concerns that you, you might have as a CISO? For, for me, yes, because at the end of the day, if I don't have the right players on the team, I lose to every threat out there anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, can you share a bit about like, what's your day look like? Your daily routine? Do, do you prefer Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? <laughs> <laughs> So, you, you so, my, 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 so my, my, my daily routine, it's a, a combination of things, right? So one of the blogs that I follow is actually Sophos's Naked Security blog. And so if you have ever read any of Paul Ducklin's uh, material, it's absolutely phenomenal. So I'm a big Paul Ducklin fan. Another thing more internal to Kasasa is I check a lot of our security metrics and dashboards because I'm a firm believer in just metrics and measurement and just con continuous monitoring, right? So we have a series of dashboards and metrics that I review first thing every morning. And then also as part of being on Kasasa's COVID response team, there are a series of COVID metrics and dashboards that I review as well to ensure that we're making the right data-driven decisions in terms of bringing our workforce back into offices, so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of have a dual role there in terms of just 
you know, the security aspect, but also the kind of people security aspect as it relates to COVID. And then obviously, last but not least, any assignments and tasks that my team members give me because at the end of the day, I work to serve them. Okay, and that's interesting. And again, I have a question here and feel free not to answer if you know if you feel that's like a breach of confidentiality and, and I, you know, I can edit this one out, but is COVID actually regarded as a threat right now? From like, is that as part of your matrix of risks? Yeah. I, I would I would say I would say that yes, in the sense that it's a threat to the safety of our employees, right? And so the way that my role is constructed, it, there's obviously protecting us against external threats, right? The classic you know, hackers from, from yep. where, whatever country, right? But I think ensuring the safety of our employees, that's also something that has been put on my plate that I fully embrace as mm. well. Okay. Got yeah, it. because I, at the end of the day, a CISO is responsible for risk, right? So that risk and those threats can come in the form of hackers or, you know, untrained employees or a global pandemic, right? It, it's pretty much anything that poses a risk to the business. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, anything you can share about uh, budget changes, you know, again, in general from like 2020 to 2021 or 2019 actually to 2021, like any trends in the industry as far as you can ascertain? It, it real, it, it, I'll start by talking about my own budget, right? And so from 2019 to 2021, I would say that we have been very fortunate in the sense that our budget has remained steady. And I say fortunate that it remains steady because several of my industry peers that I've communicated with just due to the financial hardships and challenges that COVID introduced to their businesses, they actually had their budgets cut the last 12 to 24 months, right? So I therefore consider myself very fortunate that I have held a steady budget across the last 24 months. So again, it really depends on the industry. I think in the financial services industry, you would be tough pressed to find anyone that actually had their budgets cut or at least cut too much just because we are so highly regulated that like we at the end of the day we have to meet so many various levels of scrutiny that cutting our budgets would impair our ability to meet all of those regulatory requirements mm -hmm. okay um and and thanks for that uh, coverage. Um, what would you define as innovation in our space? And again, I don't want to guide you with this question too much. So I'll leave it very open ended. Mm -hmm. So, I, I think innovation means different things to different people in different spaces, right? And so, I think it really depends on which sphere of influence you're referring to. And so, in my mind, there are a couple of major spheres of influence. There's obviously your organization that you work in, right? Then there's your security community. And then last but not least, probably your actual industry or vertical that you're in. And so, in terms of the actual organization, so starting with what's closest to home, right? I would 
say that innovation just depends on where your organization is at in terms of its maturity model. And so the first thing that I would recommend all security teams do is transition from a firefighting mode to a continuous improvement mode, right? I think even a something like that could be considered innovation because at the end of the day, innovation is just a fancy way of saying doing something new, right? So if you're off, you're, if you're constantly in firefighting mode and you're not really moving the needle on anything, then I think that's probably the first thing that you need to do, right? And so for Kasasa, what that really translated to was implementing a monthly scorecard that tracks our evolution from good to great, right? And so I think that was actually a pretty innovative thing for us because in speaking with a lot of my industry peers, they still struggle to actually measure the health of their security program. Whereas with Kasasa, that's actually something that we're very proud of in the sense that we have very tangible ways to measure how we are doing and how we're basically helping the business win. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and it just means that you're... Uh, at a different level on on the maturity scale, right? If you, I mean, I'm not sure if you use CMMI or CMMC or one of those, but uh, you're you're probably higher up on on that maturity scale. The fact that you have processes in place to prevent all those, you know, situations where you need to put out the fires and and whatnot. So right. you attribute that to the innovation of of the team and and the ability to basically build a system that works for you. Right, exactly. Because I'm a firm believer that if you do the right projects, you that actually mitigates a lot of the fires that you end up having to put out. Right. It's kind of analogous to the concept of, okay, you have an ant problem in your home. Well, you can go through every day and it's like, hey, I killed five ants today. Hey, I killed 10 ants the next day. I killed 15 ants the next day. Or you can find the source and just kill the entire whatever the source is. Right. That way you don't have to keep killing ants every day. I think that's obviously a very simplistic way of thinking about it. But I think that's also a very prudent way to think about it, because if you really fix the root of the problem via a project, then you're not having to be in constant firefighter firefighting mode. Mm hmm. Okay, uh, and I agree with that as well fully. Um, let's switch gears and uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about uh, vendors here. Uh, if you could put yourself in the shoes of, of a vendor just for a moment, what is it that you would uh, do when looking to engage with a new customer? I would, I would say empathic listening. So what does empathic listening mean to me? It means really seeking to understand first, right? And so I think this is one of the main things or one of my main gripes about vendors in general is that they don't ask me what my problems are, right? They don't ask me what challenges I face, but instead they just start by advertising their products and services and then that's it, right? It's like, hey, hey, hi, my name is John Smith. And these are my company's products and services. Thank you. You're not going to get a response from me if that is your email or your voicemail, right? Because at no point did you even try to understand what Kasasa does or what my day-to-day -day challenges are. And so I think that's something that I, if I was a vendor, I would definitely try to do, right, is really try to understand and partner with 
whoever I'm trying to sell to and listening and listen to what their problems are and try to understand what their problems are and challenges so that I can better assist them as opposed to just spitting out a bunch of products and services and hoping that one of them sticks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've been hearing that a lot as well, as you can imagine. Um, And, and, you know, keeping on with the vendor thread here, just for a moment, what would you say the most annoying sales pitch you've encountered was? I, I think any sales pitch that takes a tell first, ask later approach, right? So I, I much prefer a ask first, an ask first and tell later approach as as opposed to a tell first and ask later approach. And so there, there were, there's another thing that I myself have experienced with some vendors that I also find very annoying, which is, they pitch something to me, right? I take the time to respond to their email saying, hey, thank you for your note. However, I'm not interested in this at this particular point in time. Let's talk in say six months or 12 months. And on three separate occasions, I received a reply along the lines of, do you not care enough about your company's security to talk to me right now? Mm -hmm. Right, and it's like, okay. Well, at that point, I'm I'm pretty much just done with that vendor, right? Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say there is, for vendors that have to take rejection, please take rejection gracefully. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the Messiah complex, uh, something like that. But um, you do know that it's probably you know an automatic script, right? <laughs> at the end of the day, that's yeah, yeah, wrote. sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what is it that you, that you can, I mean, can you share like a successful vendor story or what it is that you are looking for in a vendor? I think you, I know based on your previous answers, but maybe you wanted to elaborate here a bit. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So at, at the end of the day, I'm looking for a partner that really seeks to understand my needs first and then pitches his services and products second. So one of the really good success stories was actually very recent in the sense that I started working with a particular recruiting firm that specializes in the placement of cybersecurity professionals, right? And so other recruiters and recruiting companies that I've used in the past took a generic title or role, right? And searched on LinkedIn and then threw a bunch of LinkedIn profiles at me, hoping that one of these candidates would stick. This new recruiting firm that I started working with was completely different. Before we even started a candidate search, we first sat down and we actually filled out a candidate assessment template that pinpointed the exact skills and characteristics that I needed and wanted in my security engineers, which made me feel heard, right? Which is something that I specifically want is I want to know that I am heard and then after that, that's when they initiated the candidate, the candidate search based on my candidate assessment feedback. And then we landed a candidate that was both a great technical fit as well as a great cultural fit for Kasasa's environment. So with that said, I think the takeaway from that story is, again, seek to understand, right? Like listen to what I'm trying to tell you and then pitch me a product or a service after you actually listen 
to my needs and my challenges. Yeah, and and I think you know uh, I think it's uh, it's sales one on one. Listen first. I think that's the best tip because everybody, everyone needs to be heard, especially if this is a customer. So you know, instead of just you know telling what it is that you feel your customer needs, listen mm -hmm. first and understand what they need, and then try to see if there's a match. Uh, Absolutely. Any specific individuals in the industry might be other CISOs that you look up to? Yeah, I would say the other CISO that I really have a ton of respect as well as reverence for is Q2's CISO, Bob Mashad. And so I had the privilege of working with Bob for nearly three years at my prior employer. And what really impresses me about Bob is a combination of things. There's a gracefulness, elegance, as well as eloquence in everything that he says and does, right? And his willingness to share the stage and give credit to others, always putting others first. And put simply, Bob's selflessness is extremely admirable. And so I think that's what really makes me look up to Q2's CISO, Bob Mashad. Okay. And, and thank you for that name drop. Um, any like what's the best way our listeners and you know and vendors out there potential vendors out there you know what's the best way they can uh, connect with you online in a non-intrusive manner linkedin is the best bet linkedin okay and yeah. and just to listen to this podcast for tips on how it is they need to reach out to you on linkedin so no cold uh, no cold emails no cold approaches you know do some research basically and right right and try to yeah, provide I mean, ha, ha, yeah ha, have a basic understanding of the financial services space right so like uh, i think that definitely helps a lot as well so if you're really approaching me with common security challenges that are faced specifically in the fintech space uh, that will go a long way mm -hmm. okay sounds sounds about right we're almost at the tail end of the this episode for today um i do have a couple of questions to wrap this up here is there one one thing what's the single most important thing to you in your career growth growth, both helping others grow as well as growing myself. Yeah, I can relate to that totally. And uh, a fun question for me to ask, if you had unlimited funds or if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Anything different? I, I would still hopefully be a CISO somewhere because I feel that I am where I am meant to be and I feel that this is my calling in life. So I feel very blessed in that regard. Okay. Yeah, great. I've heard that before as well, by the way. Um, any Anything you've read or listened to recently that has inspired you? Yeah. So in late April, Simon Sinek released a video on his YouTube channel that compared Eastern and Western cultures, mm. and specifically Eastern and Western leadership styles. And he spoke of concepts such as honor, faith, and humiliation, or, or humility, right? And in Mr. Sinek's video, his final comment was to embrace your own histories and your own cultures. 
And that was a very powerful and inspiring statement to me because oftentimes we're taught to fit in rather than to stand out. Right. Yeah. And so, so I really appreciate what he vocalized and articulated in that video. And it really served as a reminder to just be the best version of me. Wow. I mean, I, I feel that only based on this answer right now, we could have like another long conversation because, you know, and, and just, you know, looking at the history of this country, I'm not sure you would be able to make that statement, let's say 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, because I think, mm -hmm. you know, the, and again, I'm, I'm maybe I'm overgeneralizing it, but what you just said, like you were taught to fit in, right? Not to stand mm -hmm. out. Like uh, people always, it's always heard that people, you know, don't like change. People want to keep things as they are and so on and so on. And especially, you know, specifically in this country for, you know, with all that that's been going on here for you know, so many years, I think now is, is, is probably, you know, a good time to be talking about that, but that's very interesting. I'm going to listen to that, uh, to that part too. Did you say that was a YouTube video or a podcast? That, 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 that was like a four minute YouTube video that Simon Sinek released on his channel. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting to me. Um, okay, great. Um, so, so thank you for, for, for that. And I really enjoyed our talk today. We're almost at the end uh, of this podcast. Uh, personally, I, you know, I enjoyed listening to you and, and conversing with you. I hope you had a similar experience and I also hope that, uh, some of your answers, you know, might help someone along the way, uh, and hoping to keep in touch. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, absolute pleasure, Ben. Thank you for having me. Thanks.